raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. We are back. I'm back. You're back. Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. And now we're talking about the NFL PAs. All pro teams came out uh, a while back, and no Panthers were on that. But what they did do is they are releasing their top five players at each position. And for those who don't know, this is the all pro team. This is their first time uh, revealing this, and the players voted on this one. NFL players, kind of like the top 100. So they released their top five at every position and not a single Panther, or as the rapper Killer Mike would say, not now Panther was on any of these top five uh, <laughs> lists that you talk about. So uh, I beg the question, does this exhibition of top players in the NFL kind of show just how much work this team has to do as far as building uh, this roster, and are they more than just a quarterback away? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'll sit the fence here. Well, okay. I mean, because to me, I don't know if I've ever called them a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl yeah. contender. But we know a lot of people have said that. Right, no, and, I, and I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I think if you get a quarterback, then this is a legit playoff team as currently constructed. You know, we'll get into this a little bit later, but I do think the defense certainly needs to play better on a more consistent basis. If you look at their advanced stats, actually were ranked 25th in DVOA this past season. It was 15th the year prior. So you take a step back, but we do have some impressive players on that side of the ball. You still have Brian Burns, who probably needs to play a little more consistent, but I do value the hell out of the talent that he brings to Carolina every single Sunday. You'd like to see some dominant performances, but still Brian Burns, a very good pass rusher. It's why the Rams coveted him so much that they were willing to give up a couple first and even a second round pick. I, I think, yes, there are tweaks. I think for me, you can go through one off season and if it's somewhat successful, that can put you in a position to compete next year. It yeah. just, the quarterback spot is, is all what it comes down to in, in, in including some of the pieces that you have to improve elsewhere, right? Like if you get a veteran QB, then I can see you actually performing well in the postseason. If you go with C.J. Stroud, if you go with Bryce Young, if, you know, by some measure you're able to get him, one of those first-round QBs, then it's going to be hard to trust that guy in year one to lead this team to the promised land that is a playoff appearance or the second round in the postseason. But, yeah, I think that this is a team that has enough talent to where you can have some decent timeline to getting back to playoff contention and maybe beyond. Yeah, so when we go look at those positions, if we want to talk about those specific guys, the Panthers that most people would think have a chance to be in these type of lists. The top five edge rushers were Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett, Max Crosby, Micah Parsons, Matthew Judon. Is there anybody in that list that you would take out to sub in a Brian Byrne? Judon would be the only one. I know he had a million sacks this year. Those other four, I'm not putting Brian Burns over. Like those guys are all pro. Judon, I believe, who's a very good pass rusher, but I I would say going forward, I would rather have Brian Burns, especially at the age he is right now. Um, 
but that would be the only one. And even then, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't substitute him. Like I'm not mad at Brian Burns not making this list, right? right. If if I were to make a case, it would be over Judon. But that guy had a million sacks this season, so I'm I'm cool with him getting measure getting that award for top five pass rusher overall in 2022. If you're asking me which of those guys would I rather have over Brian Burns, it would be the top four, and then I'd rather have Burns over Judon. Yeah, I mean Judon. When you look at his statistics, he went 15 and a half sacks, 14. Times tackles for loss. Bon Burns was not that far off of him. I mean, maybe there's an argument to be made. He went 12 and a half, but had 17 tackles for loss. Well, so, and he fell off a little bit in the second half, I should say. Maybe a little bit more so than I thought. All right. Then when you look at interior D-line, where some might say, especially Derek Brown having a career season that he had this year. Again, another one of those guys kind of fell off towards the end of the season as far as splash plays. Chris Jones, Aaron Donald, Quentin Williams, Jonathan Allen, Jeffrey Simmons, Javon Hargrave. So they had a top of fifth, hence the six names you heard there. I don't know if I would put Derek Brown over any of those guys, but that that's the reason why I don't feel, oh, wow, none of them are recognized. The sky is falling. It's because they're right on the outside of that. Just because they did not have a top five season this year doesn't mean to me that they need to upgrade those positions. Your first pass rusher... I'm cool with Brian Burns being your number one. I'm cool every day of the week. Brian Burns being your top pass rusher. You need help. I'd love to have another strong suit on the other side, like you had last year in Hassan Reddick. Mm-hmm. But I'm cool with Burns being number one. I'm cool with Derek Brown being a number one defensive tackle. I'd probably rather have a guy that is a little bit more of a pass rusher next to him. But it doesn't mean that I have this huge problem with their defensive tackle spot right now. Love to get some depth, but that's my point, right? Like, when you're not in the top five, it doesn't mean that I think there's this huge problem at those positions. It just means that those guys didn't perform better than some of those all pro names. That That's fine right now. And right. it doesn't mean that they can't perform at that right. top five level next year. All right. Now, this will be a little fun. Yeah, you couldn't wait to get to this next No, don't, see, don't even say that. I, I not even mentioned. I, I just said it. that this will be a little bit of fun because mm-hmm. I think this will probably – Let's spark a little bit of debate, and I'm not being facetious. Do we need to bring our whistles out? No, we do not. We do not. We do not. Um, The top five cornerbacks, though, I think you'll be interested. Did you look at the list? All this I'm revealing to you is new. So I know the Panthers weren't there. Which I I like. Well, I have the first two. Right, right? which I I like. I saw the actual team. No, I like that. It it works better because (laughs) of that. All right, so top five cornerbacks. Mm -hmm. We know that we have a cornerback here in Charlotte that a lot of people think quite highly of. Yep, and right. the reason I say this is because some of the guys who did make it, some may have a debate on if he deserves to be on over some of these dames. So we'll start with number one, mm-hmm. Pat Sertain the second. Yeah. Now we've yeah. had a lot to be said about comparing and contrasting these two guys. Darius Slay was number two. Uh, Jair Alexander, Queen City, was number three. Sauce Gardner was number four. And Tarek is it Tariq? Tariq Woolen, the Tariq, rookie for Seattle. Tariq Woolen was number five. Mm-hmm. So I ask you, do you think that J.C. Horn is on the level of any of these guys? Should he have replaced any of these guys? Because I'll be frank. I was surprised Sertain is number one. Or Sertain, I think is how they like it to be pronounced. I was yeah. surprised that he was number one. Yeah, I wouldn't put him number one. I mean, Sauce Gardner was incredible. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like what, what he did this year is absolutely phenomenal for a rookie coming into the league. And we've seen cornerbacks have great years upon stepping onto the field. I think Jair Alexander comes to mind. Mm-hmm. We can go to Marshawn Lattimore winning defensive rookie of the year. I mean, look, I think JC Horn being in the top five is I'd be fine with that, to be honest with you over maybe a Tariq Woolen who had a great year in Seattle um, took took the ball away a few times. I believe that was kind of why he got up there with a, a top five um, number in interceptions, maybe led all cornerbacks interceptions, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. But JC, when you look at some of the other stats surrounding him outside of the PFF grade, which had him further down on coverage grade, there's no doubt about it. But I do think J.C. Horn, if he was in the top five, I wouldn't have had a problem with it. Health might be a reason to bring him out. And I will give you that because there were a couple games that he missed. But if we go to Pat Sertan, right? Like we've talked about some of these games where J.C. Horn might not have shown up, especially I know you brought up the Detroit game Mm -hmm. where I think he was credited with giving up 95 yards. You brought up D.K. Metcalf. We disagree on how well he played there, Mm -hmm. but you did bring up that. I mean, it's actually one of the higher graded games that he had this season. It was in the 80s, if I'm not mistaken. But Sertan gave up six of six in the first game of the season. You know, six targets, six receptions, right? Now, it wasn't for a lot of yards, 35. And I put that as a positive for Sertan. But then when you complete and compare that to J.C. Horn, right? And we're talking about like a guy like T. Higgins who was targeted three times and gave up three receptions yeah. to me, that kind of equals out. So look, Sertan was amazing. I, I think JC Horn would be in the top five. I'd be fine with that. Um, but it's Ooh. not like I have this huge problem with the list that they put together. Okay. All right. Uh, so on another Panthers topic, <laughs> you could, yeah, you need to get away from it, huh? <laughs> get away from the quarterback. On another Panthers topic. Uh, Jay Williams this morning on Keyshawn J. Willard. Max, he spoke on, they were on the topic of um, diversity in the NFL at the quarterback position with there being two black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. They talked about head coaching and things of that nature. And he specifically brought up David Tepper uh, when he spoke on this and talked about, because he was saying how Tepper said that he wanted to dispel the old boy network or disband it. And he talked about Tepper's mentioning of the diversity on the Panther staff, like internally with different positions uh, within the organization. But he was saying that that was internal and not external. And he brought up the fact of how Steve Wilkes was treated uh, in the hiring process and the fact that he was not uh, named coach. Do you think that Tepper's mentioning of diversity on the Panther staff was his excuse for people to let off of him, not hiring a, Blackhead coach. Well, I mean, David Tepper has been testy with media before. I mean, we saw it when they decided to fire Matt Rule, mm-hmm. and it's exactly what I joked about with Scott Fowler at the beginning of the interview yesterday. David Tepper was asked to quote, I forget what it was from Scott, but he said, you know, I read your articles, you know, and how much he pays attention to what the media is saying. And so I'm sure, sure he's frustrated. But you when you he talk. He listens to the show? I, you know what? Maybe. I bet he does. Maybe. Big shout to you, David Tepper. You know, thanks for listening. If he does, <laughs> does he like my impression of... Uh, Who do you think... That's a great question. Who does he hate <laughs> the most? Who does he dislike most of all three of us if he listens to the show? Probably me. I don't think so. No, I, I bet he thinks you're funny. I am funny. Looking. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Oh, I don't know what to do with any of that. But, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know who he dislikes the most. Yeah, look, it was it was a clunky message. I understand what he's trying to say, that they do have diversity internally within that organization. And I've talked about this before. 
when CPI security, when you're having problems with them and the social climate that we have, and that was a sponsor with Carolina, David Tepper was the first one to drop it. I mean, if you want to give David Tepper credit, I'm here for it in certain aspects because Tepper has been someone that has been out in front of a social climate post George Floyd that altered how the NFL operated, how the NBA operated. And he was out in front compared to a lot of owners in the National Football League. Again, I'm here to give him credit for that. But when we talk about Steve Wilkes not getting the benefit of the doubt over Frank Reich, you can understand why that would still be a problem with black coaches not having enough representation in the NFL. Like, that's just a flat-out problem. And so when he talks about, look at what we've done internally, it feels a lot like, hey, my black friend is mm-hmm. my best friend. Yeah. It feels a lot like that. Right. And so ultimately what's going to have to happen is you have to hire a black coach for you to have a little bit better of a, not excuse, but a better messaging to your fan base as to why it is the way it is, right? So David Tepper deserves credit on some fronts. But with this, it's it's just a little bit of a clunky message, even though I understand what he's trying to say with that. Yeah, and I think if you'd have gone from white coach to white coach, that would have been one thing. But when you had a African-American coach in your building that showed that he could do an exemplary job, and some might say, you know, well, they point to this game or that game to say it was not exemplary, but still with the hand that he was dealt, what he did was exemplary. Uh, would I say extraordinary? Maybe not, but exemplary. And so I think that when you do that and then don't give the guy – The job, you know, I do think that speaks pretty loud. And I do think I agree with Jay as well, uh, talking about internally people that we never see, people that we have no clue about as far as externally to the world showing, hey, I'm going to be one of the uh, forces of light here and set the example. Uh, I think they missed the mark there. And we are up against the break, and when we come back, we're going to do one of our favorite things. We're going to talk NBA trade deadline. Hornets got a lot of guys that people want, and we will be talking about that when we return. You're immersed in the Wesson Walker Show on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Appreciate you guys listening to the show. We'll be up with you until 3 p.m. You can also text us via the Garage Door Guru text line at 704-570-9610. The NBA trade deadline is just a week away. Going to try to get some NBA guests next week. Talk about who the Charlotte Hornets could be trading, who they could be getting in return. All the rumors. It is report season. Jake Fisher will be going fishing. Seems like that guy comes out of the woodworks anytime that we actually get to the trade deadline. And he's got to be one of the most connected Hornets people out there that'll just say, hey, because there are always weird national rumors that circulate on Twitter. And so many of them relate to the Charlotte Hornets. So we'll see exactly how this will all take place as we approach February 9th. I wanted to dig a little deeper into a Sam Vecini article, a part of The Athletic, where he answers quite a few questions. OG Ananobi, OG, excuse me, Ananobi, tough name to say. He was somebody that is very highly sought after, possibly worth maybe three first-round picks, kind of rumored to the Knicks. Memphis has been a team that has been tossed out there. That would be interesting. But among OG Ananobi, some of the other stars in the league, Vecini also writes about some of the rental options here with the Charlotte Hornets. And by rental options, I mean guys that are not going to be extended past this season as it's it's, 
uh, stands right now. So when you're talking about guys in contract years, you're looking at Mason Plumley and you're looking at Kelly Oubre. P.J. Washington, a little bit of a different story given his age, given his being a first-round pick with this squad. But Oubre and Mason Plumley could be had out there on the trade market, but they would absolutely be rentals unless that other franchise decided to extend those players. And so let's start with Mason Plumley because you also had a report from Matt Moore on Twitter at Hardwood Paroxysm. He puts out there that the Hornets are seeking a first-round pick for Mason Plumley. Now, NBA just doesn't deal with unprotected picks anymore unless you're talking about Donovan Mitchell or maybe Rudy Gobert, so it would not be unprotected. But Wes, I still don't even think Mason Plumley can be had for a first-round pick. And Mason's balling. But the problem is he's 32 years old. Mm-hmm. And that contract is kind of weird because it just depends on how each team views his expiring deal and how valuable it is. Would you value him more if he had another year left on the books worth 8 to $10 million, Or do you value it right now because as soon as you trade for him, you make that push where he is a backup center and then he comes off the books and you're actually happy to wipe your hands clean of that contract. Very weird value for Mason. Ultimately, I think you're probably going to end up with something like two second round picks, unprotected second round pick in Young Reclamation Project. How valuable do you think Mason Plumley is out there on the trade? That latter deal you just said to me sounds about right because the next team he's going to go to is probably going to be a contender. I mean, nobody's going to bring him in to be the guy or the second guy or even the third guy. He's going to be the second big guy. Right. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? So you would think a team like just for throwing it out there, Golden State or, you know, Milwaukee or some of those type of teams, if they make a deal for him, they're bringing him in to be uh, the role player that he's been throughout his career. I don't know that he's going to get the chance to put up the numbers that he's been putting up over the last month plus with the Hornets. So I think that package that you said, a couple of second rounders and a guy on a guy or two maybe on these teams' bench that, has not worked out for them yet, and they will try to see if they can resurrect his career here. Yeah, and I mean, Mason Plumlee... Because you're going to want some youth. You are going to want some youth. Well, and and this is already, you know, you you have some youth, but it's it's like third-year, fourth-year guys now that you're dealing with, where LaMelo is going to be playing his fourth season next year. He's going to be your lead dog. You're going to have P.J. Washington. I think he comes back. Now, that's not a foregone conclusion by any measure, but I do think P.J. is going to be back, and that's going to be a fifth-year guy. Mark Williams, I think he's ready to roll, and he's going to be a second-year player. So you're not so rookie-laden, but you do have quite a bit of younger players. And so I think I, I would make that deal, by the way. Two second-round picks in exchange for Mason Plumley. I'd, I'd make that. Kelly Oubre is kind of hard to measure as well because when you look at Kelly Oubre, this is someone who is a scorer, right? That's how he helps your basketball team. Well, he got injured and had real ligament damage on his shooting hand. Rod Boone of the Charlotte Observer put out there a video on Twitter where it showed Kelly Oubre shooting, but only with his right hand. He's not ready for the left-hand stuff yet, and you're a week out from the trade deadline. So if you trade for Kelly Oubre, you're probably talking about giving up some asset in order to have him for 20, 25 games, and then even a playoff run. But do you feel like that's enough for him to mesh within your system and enough for you to get rid of second round picks protected first. Like, I don't know. Kelly's really tough. And and ultimately Doug asked me this on lockdown Hornets today. Do you think Kelly Oubre is going to be on the roster next season? And ultimately I said, no. And so if that's the case, 
then I do think, given where we are this year, it would make a lot of sense to trade Kelly Oubre, even if it is for a couple of second-round picks. You don't want to trade him for pennies on the dollar, as we phrase sometimes. But I don't think that's what would happen. So I, I think Kelly Oubre, that's the guy that you would look to move as much as anyone. I think you may be able to get a low one um, out of it. He is having top a 20 protected. Top yeah, he 25. is having a career high in points per game. He hasn't been the most efficient this season, but I still think teams will value a guy that can get him a bucket. Um, and we know that you know he can get hot from three as well at times. So uh, that's a team. That's a guy that I think that another contending team will bring in, not to be the one, not to be the two, probably not even to be the three, oh, no. but to be a good scorer more than likely off of the bench uh, for them. Uh, or maybe a fourth guy to add to the starting lineup. But I think more than likely he's going to be instant offense off the bench for some contending team. And I think for them that value alone would be worth a, a, a low first-round pick where they'll be drafting. Well, what's interesting about Kelly, too, and a lot of this depends on if you extend his contract and what price that would be, but I wonder if you would like to extend Kelly Oubre by a couple of years, right? So let's say you give him two seasons, and it's something similar to what he got, whether it's 12 or on an incline. You give him 14 to $17 million at the very highest, I would imagine, for Kelly. If you do something like that, those salaries are often really tradable. And so that's actually the weird upside down type of value where, okay, maybe he's not worth that money. But when you're talking about $15 million a season, it actually allows you to trade those deals a little more so because now you're just exchanging veterans. And then when you, let's say you're trading for an expiring $15 million a year contract, that means it frees $15 million on your books. Whereas if you're trading for an $8 million expiring, it only frees $8 million on the books, right? So in a weird way, it's actually more valuable when you have $15 million there for Kelly Oubre. That would be something to take note of. Real quick aside, uh, quick sidebar, if you will. Okay. And I implore you guys to watch Last Chance You. Mm -hmm. And on the last season, <laughs> one of the guys whose dad played in the NBA, and he wasn't getting minutes like that, but he has a ton of talent. And he told the coach, actually, he referenced Kelly Oubre, uh, when he was saying why he needed playing time and that he wanted to get to the league. And I felt like it was a slight to Kelly. He's like, man, he's like, Kelly Uber is making uh, $12 million. He's like, I, I got to get to the NBA. <laughs> so I thought that was So you're, the dad said this and was throwing No, shade. the, son, the, the oh, kid said it. that to the coach. Gotcha. They were talking, and he was saying how – you know, he had to get to the league and stuff like that. And I think he was trying to slight Kelly to say, well, if he's in the league, I can get there. If he's making this kind of money, I should be there too, getting this kind of money. Look, I I'm not going to miss the poor shooting nights, but I am going to miss Tsunami Poppy when he breaks out. Yeah. I am going to miss him in the post-game pressers. You know, I'm I'm going to miss that. Get that huge fourth quarter he had. Like, there was the fourth quarter when he hit, what, the seven, eight well, threes or something. Look, that, that that's the thing about Kelly. You look at the first half of last year was going bananas. Yeah. It was absolutely nuts what he put out there. You're talking about like seven three-pointers that he would hit in a quarter. I believe there was a game against Indiana where he had 35, but so many of it, so much of his production came in the fourth quarter, something like that. Yeah, Kelly is absolutely capable of those types of outings. A 980 number wrote in 704-570-9610. Mason Plumley could be valuable to Milwaukee. Mason with the Bucks could be big because of his passing as a big. Yeah, maybe so. Like yeah. if, you, if you got if you have Brooke Lopez, that actually makes sense. I like that. I don't know what you'd get in return. You're probably talking second round picks. I don't know what they own. But if you have Brooke Lopez as your defensive guy, 
Milwaukee has not been good on offense this year. It's surprising because they now Chris Middleton is back. I think they're ranked top 10 since he's been in the lineup. But if you're talking about Mason Plumlee helping you out as a passing big, maybe, it, I, yeah, that that's a, a, a decent mention as a team. If we talk about more big guys for the Charlotte Hornets squad, Mark Williams is the one you get excited about the most. Yes. Because he's finally in the rotation and he's been balling. The problem is he doesn't get any recognition from the NBA because he is left off of the Rising Stars Challenge roster. If you look at some of the rookies that made the team, you go to the big guys, and it's Walker Kessler, and it's Jalen Duran, who a lot of people wanted here in Charlotte, and mm-hmm. he's been playing well in Detroit, but he's also gotten that opportunity, and he got it right from the get-go. So a lot of people on Twitter have used the lack of Hornets and the Rising Stars Challenge as an indictment on them. And I think there's some fair criticism here. If you want to look at James Booknight and say, complete bust, hasn't worked out, that is a point of criticism against Charlotte. Okay, fine. Even with Kai Jones, he was always going to be a project. Maybe you didn't want them to draft Kai, but okay. I give that a little bit more leniency because he always was going to be this this ball of clay that you had to try to mold into an actual player before he saw the court. But that body, cool, I'll draft that. With Mark Williams... I don't know if I really care about the sample size as far as it pertains to him getting to the rising stars challenge. Like we're not trying to, we're not trying to vote him into an all NBA selection, right? Like these aren't, these aren't numbers where, okay, we really got to dig deep. Is Mark Williams one of the better rookies in the league right now? The answer is yeah. So maybe he should make the rising stars challenge. Wes, do you feel like the guy got snubbed? Uh, I do feel like he got snubbed. I feel like the, his recent play that he's had would kind of lend itself for them giving him a shot because he might not have been one of the, you know, best rookies all season, but he has been one of the hotter rookies when you look at the last probably 10, uh, 10 to 12 games. So I think that you could have found a spot for him on this roster for sure. Well, and, and the problem with Mark Williams though, and one you're you already have two big guys, right? Kessler and Duran. We've already talked about that. But when you want the Rising Stars Challenge, when you talk about the All-Star Game, it's not like Mark Williams is going to be the most exciting to go watch play, right? Like, and I don't know how much you value the entertainment factor when voting these guys in, because Mark is one of the better rookies, but Mark isn't about to cross you up on his way to slam at home. You know, Mark Williams, the most exciting thing he might do is bust out a three as a 7-1 guy. And that would be hilarious because there's not any defense played in these types of things. So I would be happy if Mark made it, but it's not like you're getting all of this excitement. You might see some blocks and that'd be great, but he's not going between his legs. He's not John Wall in it. He's not doing anything like that when he gets to the Rising Stars Challenge. Yeah, and the dunks are going to be, you know, fairly basic lobs and things of that nature. But who knows what he could pull out of his hat you know, in those type of scenarios, guys are just kind of freestyling a little bit. So maybe he could pull something out of the hat for us. I mean, he he shakes the rim when he dunks it. Yeah, maybe he could pull a little something. It's out. powerful. I, I'm just I'm happy that he's getting minutes now, and we didn't have to wait this entire season and then go into next year without having seen him play real minutes because there was a worry, especially with him not getting any minutes the first half of the season. It's like, all right, you know, Nick Richards comes out, has a phenomenal game against the Spurs. The debut, Nick Richards is the storyline. And then Mason Plumlee starts to ball and have one of his better years, maybe I say his best year as a pro with what he's doing. It's like, all right, great. You know, I thought Mark was going to come in and, and maybe even start game one or at least get some playing time. But now he is, and he's been playing very well. I mean, the numbers aren't far off. Walker Kessler's yeah. averaging eight points, seven boys. Jalen Durham's averaging 
Jalen Duran is averaging eight points and almost nine rebounds. And Mark is averaging seven points and five rebounds. So they're not that far off, but I do think their games played, uh, you know, and Kessler's been kind of one of the reasons why the Jazz has been pretty uh, good and not the doormat people thought that they were going to be. So, you know, you can kind of see why they left them out. But I think for sure next year um, he'll be on the sophomore team. I, talking about Walker Kessler for a little bit, what a two, three years it's been for that guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can even bring Fiddy in on this with Walker Kessler being a former Tar Heel, but <laughs> Hubert Davis openly recruited Walker Kessler in his head coaching named conference or in, in press conference. He said, you know, and we want Walker Kessler back when that guy was openly about to leave because his dad wanted him to shoot threes and didn't feel like Roy Williams was developing him as an NBA pro. Right. And now what has Kessler done this year? He ain't shooting threes because that was always going to be the best suited role for Kessler and what he would do at North Carolina. But this guy goes to North Carolina, right? Mostly disappointing, but has some awesome games like Florida State. What was it? Fitty had like 20 and, and a million blocks. And that game was awesome for him. And he would have a few outings, goes to Auburn, blocks every shot put up near the basket. I still had him rated low. I thought, okay, this guy's a statue. He can't guard on the perimeter. He can't shoot despite wanting to shoot. His free throw percentage is awful this year. It's like barely over 50. So it only proves that he probably isn't going to be able to shoot from three-point range. But he's had an amazing rookie season. It's been kind of crazy, Fiddy, what we've seen from him the last couple of years. Yeah, just imagine what he could have been had he stayed in, you know, at, at a school that develops big men and puts big men in the – or used to put big men in the NBA – Quite, quite often. Um, I hate him. I hate seeing him. I hated him at Auburn. Of course. Uh, I loved seeing them get upset in the second round by USC or Miami was the team that knocked them out of the tournament. And I, I, I loved it. He got put on a poster a few weeks ago, and it was amazing. First off, the Jazz's uniforms are straight trash. And then he looks like trash, and I'm here for it. Wow. Okay, that was strong, and it only got stronger. Wes, what do you think about Walker Kessler's last couple of seasons? The thing that I'm always going to remember about him is the fact that Hubert Davis mentioned his name during a defining moment in coaching lore. He literally left the press conference and went to Florida and recruited him for eight hours. Started right now, baby. Like, Hubert Davis out here recruiting immediately the guys on his own team, and eventually he would bring back an Armando Baycott and... Armando Baycott is going to live in, you know, fame forever. But can you imagine? Like, that's crazy. I know we're starting to change this convo. What if Baycott leaves, man? Because there was a real possibility that was going to happen. Like, the fact if you lose Kessler, if you lose Baycott. They lost Dayron Sharp to the draft. Sure. Garrison Brooks, Garrison Brooks transferred. Kessler's one of the more modern guys that I got pissed about leaving. Because I never thought he was going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then he left, and I thought when Hubert openly recruited him, and then his first day as the official head coach, spent eight hours in his living room. I was like, dude's coming back. Yeah, we went from Roy crying to saying, hey, Walker, please play for us. It was ridiculous. It's not you. Yeah, man. I mean, he lived the life of a pro, basically. Two different schools in two years and then went to the NBA. And I surely did not think he was going to end up being a contributor right away like he's been. But he looks like he's he one looks, of the bright young big men in the league. He, he looks great. He really does. I was way wrong on him. Like, we had a draft expert on Locked On Hornets, and they said, yeah, I'm not drafting him top 70. There's not even 70. That was strong. He's slow-footed. He looks like a dismembered giraffe running up and what? down the court. <laughs> no, why we got to talk about <laughs> Wes's grunts are probably the best 
individual sound bites we get on a daily basis here on Wes and Walker. Speaking of more sound bites, let's get some from Fiddy. It's the second flash of the day. What you got, Fiddy? Well, talking about college kids living the pro lifestyle, that's happening now in college football with the NIL money. And yesterday was the the last day of the 2023 National Signing Day period. And Wes, you had some things you want to talk about, including Miami having a top-ranked class, according to ESPN? Well, yeah. Um, they are the number one class in the ACC, according to uh, ESPN and 24-7. Uh, they, the, for the first time in a while, Clemson has not had the top class in the ACC. And Mr. Cristobal is doing it through the trenches. His top two recruits are five-star offensive tackles. You know that that gets me going. Uh, Francis my Mal, Malgoa, a 6'5", 330-pounder sure. out of IMG, and then an offensive lineman. What better name can you have than Samson Lola? okay? <laughs> Five-star, 6'5", 305. So Mario, does he have long hair? No, he does not. But we know Mario is an offensive, uh, a, a trenches guy at his core, and he was an offensive lineman during his time at Miami. His top four-rated recruits are all uh, on the line, and if you want to add the tight end in there, uh, Riley Williams, then you're talking about five guys, but the other two top-rated players in his class are both edge rushers. So he's not playing any games. He's going in there and trying to get it done in the trenches. And then Clemson, when you talk about their top recruit uh, or at least quarterback recruit who I think is going to provide more competition than people think for Mr. K Klubnik. Christopher Bazena, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. These kids have some tough last names. Then, you, just, you just read all of them. Yeah, right man, there. but he's pretty good. So uh, we'll see. But very interesting Miami top class. So we'll see if that will translate to uh, a better season for them. All right. Speaking of youngins with tough last names, Cowherd wrote in on the guest on the guest line, not Colin Cowherd, at least I don't think. But he said, are we getting Wimby? Be honest with me. I love the way that was phrased. We just want him so badly here in Charlotte. Um, I don't know. That's as honest as I can get. But we do have a shot and we can hold out hope that the Hornets will get Victor Wimbenyama. But we can also hold out hope that we're going to get a fire segment coming up next because it's on the weekly fire or fizzle. Sports retirements, Tom Brady, Brett Favre, just a few to mention. It's coming up next with Wes Bryant, Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's Granny Pat's favorite segment. Riding in. Can't wait for fire and fizzle. So entertaining. A lot of people get hyped up for a staple. Fire or fizzle. It's here now. Sports retirements. Let's start with Tom Brady. You hear the siren. West. Tom Brady. All-encompassing retirement. The first one. The last one. The indecision. Still getting to the playoffs, although it was a mediocre season. All-encompassing was Tom Brady's retirement fire fizzle. Listen, you know what this man means to me as a quarterback. I judge quarterbacks on if I would like to play for them or not. This man qualifies as a man that I would love to play for. When we want to talk about the seven Super Bowls, or you want to talk about the multiple All-Pros, every award you can think of, all-time passing yards, leader, passing touchdowns, whichever way you want to go, 
This man has got the record. That's why they call him the GOAT. He retired, came back, and retired again because it's his prerogative. That nagging wife at home disrupted a oh, little wow. bit of the process. You okay. know what I'm saying? I'm always going to throw a couple of shots at Giselle. But when it comes to Tom Brady's retirement, unretirement, and then re-retirement, it is straight fire. One of my favorite offensive players of all time, Mr. Brady, the GOAT, a.k.a. Captain America. So I need to define some rules real quickly before I go on. Are these going to be figures that are fire? Based off what they did in their career, or are we trying to bring it down to the actual retirement process? I mean, it's just a little bit of everything. Okay. Just, these are just That's... iconic players that retired and what I think of their careers no. and their retirement, the way that they did it. That, that's fine. Yeah, it the is, way that they did it. It's not my segment. I don't know the rules, but yeah. you know what? I don't have yeah. to. Wes can make up the their rules methods as he goes. of which they did it, but Brady can do no wrong. If he wanted to unretire and come back again, come it, on back. It'd be fire. Yeah. And we'd have... I told you, I want him carried off the field. I don't want him retiring under his own volition. Like Scottie Pippen did with Michael Jordan in the flu game? Yeah. That's yeah. how you want him carried off the field? I want him on a stretcher. First Speak- time Pippen ever carried Jordan. I want his arm to fall off. Speaking of the GOAT, speaking of Michael Jordan, he once released a press conference statement saying, I'm back. And then he retired again. And then yeah. he came back and then he retired again. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about with MJ. He might hear you because he's listening here in the city of Charlotte. <laughs> Are you going to call him fire or fizzle? There's a lot of a lot of layers to this retirement. I never forget the morning of the first retirement. I'm getting up to get ready for school. My mom tells me to come in there and look at the news because MJ's retiring. I'm shocked. Then he unretired, came back, got three more blingies. I love that. Retired again. I love blingies. I'm sorry. Double up. It. Went and played a little baseball. Did a couple things. Lived out some childhood dreams. Then he came back at 40 and played for the Washington Wizards and gave the Hornets that work. He showed you that a 40-year-old could still get it done. And a lot of people like to dismiss it, but still, the average 20 a game now, LeBron has redefined what it means to play around that age. Not 40 yet, but still 39. (laughs) But when it comes to Michael Jordan's retirement, unretirement, retirement, then unretirement, and then retirement again, it is straight fire. I spent too much money on his shoes to ever disrespect. I I'm never, okay with it. I am never going to refer to a championship as anything other than a blingy from here on out. And I'm completely going to steal that. And that came you. right off the top of the dome. I loved it. Number three, Brett Favre. I know where I would go with this. But it's not my segment. When it came to his retirement decision, it was a lot like his play on the field. Up and down, up and down. Interception, great throw, bad throw. Am I going to retire? Am I not? This man was so topsy-turvy. He was more indecisive than a three-year-old figuring out what they wanted to eat every day. Listen, it was so aggravating. People were just getting tired of it already. Would you make a decision, Brett? <laughs> and we see that he is um, not the greatest decision maker based off some of that money that he's stealing. But that's another story. That's Grillo. But when it comes to Brett Favre's retirement, then going to the New York Jets, then I believe retired again and then came back, played for the Minnesota Vikings. Where in the Bounty Gate game... <laughs> The New Orleans Saints put him on a rocket ship more than one or two times in that game. His ankle looked like a softball was in it. 
I took that line from my uncle because when he got that one hit, that deep cleater, he said he put him on a rocket ship. And that he did. You're a problem. So when it comes to Brett Favre's retirement, unretirement, retirement, and unretirement, and just so much indecision, it is straight. Fizzle, no love for Brett Favre over here. Your retirement was trash, and you're stealing money from people that need it. Yeah, I said. Yeah, I hope you soil those Wranglers you're wearing right now on the couch. You know what I'm saying? Last one. Well, maybe Last a couple one. more. We got two more. What do oh, you I, mean? I thought we didn't have enough time, but no, you're right. No, no. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll make it more concise. All right? No, you're good. Okay. I don't want to no, mess with the product. We'll talk about the great Jerry Rice. We know what this man means to me. Resident San Francisco 49er fan here before the game holding up the L. I still wonder to this day what was that he would hold up before the game when he would do that little hand gesture. Anyway, he came back, signed a one-day contract with the 49ers that would be worth $1,985,806.49. But it had significance. The 1985 was the year he was drafted. The number 8006 represents the year he retired. And the 49 is for the 49ers. (laughs) Okay? But for the emphasis of time, we're going to speed this thing up. When it comes to Jerry Rice's retirement, it was straight. Fire! What else did you think I was going to say? The greatest receiver of all time and a niner. I just remember him having an awesome Raider year, too. And he got carried off the field. Yeah, good for Jerry Rice. All right. Speaking of the blingies, he showed that in this most recent weekend. All right, take the time you need here. It's Kobe Bryant. Fire fizzle, what you got? Listen, when we talk about the Mamba, my favorite NBA player of all time. So many lunchroom arguments about this man. So many arguments in barbershops. So many arguments. Period. When this man played his last game, I was about to go to sleep that night. But I said, you know what? This is Kobe. This is my man. He would be so disappointed in me if I went to sleep right now. (laughs) So I said, I'm going to get up even though I've got an early morning and I'm going to watch the rest of this game when he scored 60 and took about 600 shots. And my eyes started tearing up as I was watching this. This is a man that I remember seeing with the glasses on his head make the announcement that he was going to the NBA, the first guard to do so. And then as I wrote my post the next morning on Facebook expressing what that all meant to me, I teared up again. (laughs) So you know where this is going. I know where this is going. If I'm getting emotional over watching a man play his last game, then where do you think this is going? The black mamba, mamba mentality, mamba forever. His retirement was straight. Fire is Kobe, mamba forever. I'm saying it again. Text in the Garage Door Guru text line. Was Kobe's retirement... Cut that music off. I'm done. The best retirement that we have seen based off of just the last game? (laughs) I guess John Elway was pretty good. We can talk about it coming up next. One more hour to go. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.